0: Hey everybody, and welcome to The Good Vibe Nurse. We are your hosts, Mika and Jessica. The Good Vibe Nurse is here to shed light on the reality of what it's like to be a healthcare worker and frontline responder in the world today. We're here to speak the truth about the standard of care, revealing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be prepared to have your mind blown. We will provide you with a handful of tangible and practical tools to reduce your stress, create balance, and find joy in your life again. Jessica and I will share our real life experiences as caregivers and dive into the unhealthy
1: mechanisms we lean on. We will share our stories about breaking free from addiction, toxic relationships, jobs, emotional addiction patterns, and the programming that once dictated our every move. We will give you the tools to start making conscious decisions Reduce anxiety and stress and live in the moment, making the best life for yourself. If you need a place to let your guard down, feel safe, free from judgment, criticism, and shame, this is where you want to be.
0: Hey everybody and welcome to episode three, where we are going to be breaking down the ins and outs of mindfulness and meditation. Honestly, this one is one of the most powerful yet Probably the most difficult ones for me To be in the moment in the present in the now to sit with myself My thoughts my feelings my emotions and just be present as we talked about last week with our ACE scores being wired in survival mode It can be pretty damn difficult to just be in the now and experience that time not to time travel and be triggered by the past or be defensive or angry or frustrated. Not to time travel to the future of the unknowns, the anxieties, the what-ifs. Not to allow that survival brain to hijack that present moment. As I was trying to get my thoughts together on this one, I wanted to find a way to paint the picture for our listeners. What happens in the body? How we get stuck in that loop, that subconscious programming how we have shifted into autopilot and away from our own free will. So I thought I'd share with you guys some of the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, author of You Are the Placebo. He's a researcher, chiropractor, neuroscientist. He goes into the quantum physics and specializes in teaching others how to unlock the full potential of their brain and how to use that potential for personal improvement and personal development, just like we do here. So I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit use a lot of his words actually. Um, So to think that if every time you have a thought we produce a chemical reaction in our body, this is something that actually happens, what if you had a choice on what kind of chemicals you circulate through your body? What would you choose? If you had an unlimited thought, you feel unlimited producing oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, you feel good. Yes! But There's also those self-depreciating thoughts. You feel unworthy, producing pain, discomfort, dis-ease. Your brain instantaneously fires circuits that signal other parts of the brain to release peptides or chemical messengers that signals hormone center. When we get that arousal from the thought we think, those thoughts sometimes weaken the physical body. So it turns out that the emotions that are created from the thoughts are the signaling mechanisms of the body. Thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body and how we think and how we feel creates our state of being. So it turns out that thoughts based in stress hormones, based in survival, those are the thoughts that begin to push genetic buttons and create disease. In other words, A person wakes up in the morning and your brain is a recording of the past. The first thing we start doing in the morning when we wake up is starting to think about our problems, and those problems are memories that are etched into our brain, that are connected to certain people, certain objects, certain things, certain times and places. So if you believe that your thoughts somehow have anything to do with your destiny, the moment you think about your problems, you're thinking in the past, right? Every morning you wake up and you start to worry about your problems. What meetings do I have to go to today? Who will I run into that I'd rather not see? What will my assignment be? That one's a big one for me. Will I have a good team mate or a pod mate? Who's in charge today? What kind of day is it going to be? Now every one of those problems has an emotion associated with it because we have experienced them. So the moment you remember your problems, now you feel unhappy, now you feel anxious, now you feel fearful. Now, the moment we feel those emotions, it takes a thought and a feeling, a memory, or an image, an emotion, a stimulus, and a response, and we start conditioning the body emotionally into the past. Now, the body is a, so objective that it does not know the difference between the real life experience that is creating the emotion and the emotion that we are fabricating from the thought alone. Mind blown. The body is believing it is in the environmental condition, so if the environment signals the gene and the end product of an experience is and the environment is an emotion, we're signaling the same genes and genes make proteins. If you keep signaling the same genes to start down regulating the genes to make cheaper proteins, the body begins to break down. Now that's an unconscious process. Now what goes along with that is, the moment the person feels an emotion of unhappiness, stress, worry, or angst, the brain checks in with the body and says, yeah, you're feeling pretty miserable, you're suffering. And we tend to generate more thoughts equal to that feeling that we have. So then we get caught in this loop of thinking and feeling, thinking and feeling. So if we are unable to think greater than how we feel, or our feelings become our way of thinking, then we are thinking in the past, and we call that the familiar past. A flood of thoughts and emotions come in throughout the day, and that becomes our routine. And a habit is when you've done something so many times that the body knows how to do it better than the mind. So now we run through the same routine day after day, and we end up on autopilot. Now, our body's dragging us into the predictable future based on what we did in the past, and that is when we have lost our free will to a set of programs. So now you have the familiar past and the predictable future. Those are the knowns. So the The only place where the unknown exists is the sweet spot of the generous present moment. That is when the body and mind are free from those conditions. So that resonated with me so much just realizing how often i time travel how often i'm not in that moment just being there being mindful of what is going on and i know this is a huge one for you jessica i know this Mm. is something that you get really excited about because it's been huge on your journey so tell us about it what's what's good for you
1: girl i'm so excited even you saying i'm excited i'm so excited Like, if you were Oprah and we had a couch, I'd be Tom Cruise right now. I just, I love this subject. Um, And and all of that, Don't you know, that was a a lot we just laid out there in the beginning, but that's because we're going to break it down in conversation. So we give it to you in the beginning, and we're going to walk through it with you. Mindfulness is huge. It is the fix to almost everything that I've encountered in my life, in your life, my kid's life, my friend's life. It is how we be human. It's how we live our life. It's how we separate from those things that we're resisting. Those things that make us feel bad, and we find that space outside of it. So for me, um, my mindfulness journey started. I had mentioned, you know, I was burnout. I was work burnout from nursing, from EMS. I was a burnout mom, a burnout sister, a burnout daughter, a burnout wife, burnout with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I asked myself, you know, like, what do I do? So I start exploring and, and then, you know, we mentioned before headspace guide to meditation that it was everything to me because it brought in that science. So when I'm first starting out this journey, I'm like, okay, what do I do? Where do I go from here? Like so often in my life, I didn't feel like I had this person I could go to or a group of people I could go to. I was still feeling really isolated that same patterns from my childhood, and when I was a child, I turned to books. So that's what I did now. I turned to books and documentaries and podcasts and interviews. And thank God I did. Because again, as a healthcare worker, I needed to know not just the woohoo, which totally believer in the woohoo, but that's because science was my doorway. Mm-hmm. So we're going to dig into that a little bit because I can't contain my excitement. Um, so again, my mentors, they were books, documentaries, interviews, science, and what I started with was neuroplasticity. Oh, love neuroplasticity. I know, right? Just the word now, and I'm like, yay. So um, what neuroplasticity means is that we can change our brain. It's flexible. It's malleable. The human brain is composed of about 100 billion neurons. And scientists now tell us that these create new connections all the time. They also tell us that it only takes... 72 hours or three days for neurites to start trying to connect with each other. So what that means is, I have a thought. I wanna be mindful in this moment. I'm gonna have a mindful moment. Let's take mindful hand washing. I'm gonna be present in hand washing. Instantly, my body is meeting that ask with the physical changes. So within three days, those neurites that are following what I'm asking it to do are trying to connect with the other neurites and create a pathway for me to follow. If I chose to continue and create a habit with that.
0: I know for me, and I know that a lot of the listeners and a lot of people that I talk to about mindfulness have a hard time. They say, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I can't concentrate that long. I I just can't meditate. And we, I've said this before and we've talked about it before. Your mind is just like a muscle. And that's what you're saying. You got to create that habit. You got to lay down that neural pathway. But I think that people think that they're doing something wrong because when they're trying to meditate or be mindful, it's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not not the truth. They're actually doing something right because we're so used to being on autopilot that being in that moment, sitting still, not getting up, not moving, just listening and being mindful of that present moment is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're doing it right. That's what I want everybody to know. Like, Don't give up in that moment. You're supposed to be
1: uncomfortable in Mm -hmm. the beginning. That's the whole point is that it introduces us to what is uncomfortable. We become friends with it. Where before it would scare us, we resist it. It creates tension in our life. And when you first sit down and it's uncomfortable, it does kind of suck. But you only need to make it through 17 seconds to 3 minutes. Even if your mind wanders a billion times in those three minutes, as long as you're able to bring it back and you keep trying, you're building those neural pathways and it's going to get easier. It has to get easier. It's science. It has to get easier. So just know that meditation causes volume changes in your brain. So when you sit down to do it, you're instantly making changes. The same as any other muscle, the parts responsible for happiness and well being in our brain. Get more blood flow and they get thicker and stronger so that we can spend more time in those places. For example, increase cortical thickness in the hippocampus, which governs learning and memory in areas that regulate emotions, and decreased cell volume in the amygdala, which is responsible for fear, anxiety, and stress. Yeah, girl, that was pretty much enough for me. I'm like, sign me the fuck up. Things are getting smaller. Things are getting bigger. New electricity is being made. Let's do this. So I was ready. I was ready to start. And I could start with confidence that even though I was really uncomfortable and I felt like shit in the beginning, I knew that there were real changes being made in my body. And if I had the right equipment, I could even watch it. Scientists can watch that now.
0: I am gonna interrupt. Is yep. this a good time to put in the part about the, <laughs> the, the the perineum, the butthole puckering? So less butthole puckering, more perineum yep. relaxation.
1: Yeah, here and that and so we bring that up because it's a quick trigger. If you're sitting at work or wherever you're at, and you bring your awareness to the perineum. If it's tight, you're stressed. See what happens when you relax it.
0: (laughs) And when we started talking about this topic of conversation, I said, is it like when you go into a code and your butthole puckers a little bit and you get real tight, you can't breathe, and you get all excited? And so bringing it back to the present moment and just recognizing where you're at.
1: Yeah, yeah, real. And again, it's just like any other trigger. It's a trigger. Think about it. So, so then after I got it in my head and, and realized that even though it was uncomfortable at first and I wasn't um, practiced too much in it, that I could continue. And then I, so I looked into more science and I found something else that completely blew my mind called the heart brain coherence yes. by the Institute of Heart Math. Yeah. Oh, good, great! You're yeah. familiar. Oh, good. This can be a good conversation. So, for anyone that doesn't know what the Institute of Heart Math does, they study the relationship between the heart and the brain's neural pathways and that extended neural network that they share. So, what they now recognize is that we have in our hearts about forty thousand specialized cells called sensory neurites. They're little brain-like cells. In fact, it's even called the little brain in the heart, which is really cool. But this little these Cells, these sensor, sensory neurites that act like brain neurites, they learn independently of the brain.
0: We actually have more traveling to the brain than the brain traveling to the heart. Exactly,
1: exactly. And not just the heart, the entire body. Yeah. Our body speaks to the brain more than the brain speaks to us, and especially the heart. More signals are going to the brain than the brain is sending sig- to the heart. Um, so again, they learn independently. They think independently. They feel independently and they remember, which Mika is really cool. When you go into like heart transplant yeah, stories, yeah. the heart remembers, and that it's all out there. Check that out. Plenty of doctors have put that out there to see. They know that the heart has a form of intelligence that can function completely separate from our minds. And the really cool thing is they can be harmonized.
0: Wasn't there one? I don't know if it's in a book or where I heard it, but the heart transplant, where the guy got the heart transplant, and then he, from the, I think it was a kid or something, and he started having all these cravings for this specific food, and then one day they met with the families of the transplant patient, and he told them about it, and it was that kid's favorite food. It's just... That, to mm-hmm. me, is so crazy to think that your cells have that impact.
1: Yeah, we don't think of memory as being anywhere but the brain, mm-hmm. um, which is why we're, you know, we believe people when they say we need to be logical beings and leave our feelings out of it. when in reality, our heart determines everything, our feelings determine everything. There's also a story of an eight year old getting a ten year old's heart. She started having dreams about being murdered mm-hmm. and about who did it and or, well what he looked like and what he said. And then she did a composite sketch with the police, and they found that guy. And he said, that's what I said. There's no possible way this girl could have known that, except for the memories that are passed through the heart.
0: That just gives me the chills. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, you know, it just really shows that we can be curious, that we didn't know things about our body before, that we can grow, be curious, learn new things. And
0: to – this is – This is our way of pushing you guys to be curious, to look outside the standard of care, to explore for yourself what works for you, and maybe push the limits and the boundaries of Mm -hmm. what we've been taught a little bit.
1: Yeah. And as we move on with these podcasts, that's what we're going to do. We're Mm going to push you and and bring you into some alternative ways of thinking, um, connecting them through science, but definitely pushing you. So the heart and the brain, two separate organs with an extended neural network that can be harmonized. And when you harmonize these, like we were just saying, you're opening the door to your subconscious. And it's there that you can change patterns like the ACEs and you can create new vibrant, healthy ones. When we set up this conversation through meditation or breathing, when we set up this conversation between the brain and the heart, we're triggering over 1300 positive biochemical reactions in the body, including anti-aging, immune response, and cardiovascular benefits. Did
0: you hear that? Anti-aging, yeah. immune response, cardiovascular benefits. I mean, who doesn't want anti-aging? And there's been multiple studies done in people who have meditated how much higher their immune system is working and how more, how much more resistant they are to things like, you know the vid and the flu and all kinds of other things that attack us on a daily basis.
1: Absolutely. If you take a look at people that um, feel more sick or are more sick, um, for instance, is something I tell my sister. She's a diabetic and she's often sick with colds and they always come up when she's having extreme stress responses, when she's feeling bad about herself or something else happening in her life. She gets sick. You don't think that...
0: Or I should say, if you don't think that the news and the media pushed that agenda on us during COVID to mm-hmm. push the fear to trigger us to be in that fear, fight or flight response to lower our immune system, that's the way we were more susceptible to the virus. Mm-hmm. Then I'd like you to explore that one a little more.
1: Yeah. Be curious. Like we said, be curious for yourself. So when you sit down to do these... Practices of heart-brain coherence. Again, it only takes 72 hours or three days. And these sensory neurites will grow in response to your ask, in response to what you're doing, what you're living, what you're choosing, thinking, feeling, and creating. It really gives new meaning, new perspective on fake it till you make it because that's really what you're fucking doing. Mm -hmm. You are faking it until they connect and they assist you. And being who you want to be.
0: And I think that a lot of people think like thinking positively, positive affirmations, gratitude are the answers, but it really is. It's overcoming, overcoming, overcoming until we lay that down and mm-hmm. become someone else and, and lay down that neural pathway. Continue to do it, continue to keep trying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Continue to put yourself in that discomfort.
1: Yeah. Everything needs a framework. Everything. And that's what you're doing when you first start working on it and you're uncomfortable. You're building that framework to just have that confidence. No, we are proof too. There's millions of other people in the history of humanity and now and always will be, but we're just two of them. Like it has made significant difference. And it was hard at first, but you just keep going. And if you keep going, it's only about sixty six days. It's not that long. Sixty six days to build a new habit. And here's an interesting one. Only 10,000 repetitions to become a master. A mm-hmm. master. Only 10,000 repetitions. That's not much.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you only have to do it for a couple minutes, mm-hmm. what not you say? 17 seconds to three minutes?
1: 17 seconds to three minutes. Yeah, three minutes is ideal. But even if all you're doing is waking up in the morning and spending that first 17 seconds that you're grateful you woke up and breathed, that is the beginning.
0: Instead of picking up your phone and looking at your emails or your Instagram yeah. or your Facebook or your social media or the news, yeah. do something that makes you happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, that time in the morning when you first wake out of sleep, that's that's massive. You're, it's, you're setting a pattern for your entire day. It's so yeah, definitely don't pick up that phone. So we can measure the electromagnetic frequencies between the heart and brain. Like We're in healthcare. We get that. We have EKGs, ECGs. Mm-hmm. EEGs. EEGs, What else? ECG and EKG are the same thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) EEG. Um, So what you may not know is that we can also measure the electromagnetics of our feelings. Our feelings, people, again, they're so important. They're, they're, They're everything. Anger, jealousy, frustration, those are read as jagged. It's a jagged rhythm. And that signals the brain to release more adrenaline, increased cortisol. It puts you into that fight or flight response and it shuts down healing. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So aura is real. Science measures it. Science tells us. And then we can measure what your heart is saying to your brain. Your heart's the one in control. There's 40,000 sensory rates. They're in control. They're going to tell your brain what to do. So if you're feeling anger, jealousy, frustration, that jagged little electromagnetic reading is going up to your brain and your brain is saying, shut down healing. We got to go or we got to fight and we just can't spend all of our time in that space. So what do we do? We shift it. So when we shift to compassion, care, gratitude, appreciation, we have measured that those emotions hold as 0.1 Hertz, which is a love language to your body. It's like when you're feeling those, when you're in that mode, your body is reading that as love. The frequency that's read from your heart to your brain is more rhythmic. It's more coherent. And that releases a healing chemistry, a powerful immune response, anti-aging hormones, and it turns on gamma waves, which help treat depression. So we're also going to post a heart-brain coherence meditation, and that'll be listed on the podcast as well. It's just three minutes. Try it out. You're going to love it. You're really going to love it.
0: You really are. I, it takes me a lot to get into that relaxation mode. And I'm not kidding. Within the first 30 seconds, I was like, ooh, I like this. This feels good.
1: And that wasn't even my sexy voice. <laughs>
0: no, but you'll hear that in the other ones. I told Jessica I think she could be a, a phone sex operator. I may believe you after this.
1: <laughs> it like only took
0: it. three episodes. <laughs> it's good. Good stuff.
1: So, you know, bringing it back, mindfulness is good for healthcare workers because it decreases stress, it increases self-compassion, and therefore increasing the effectiveness of patient care. There have been hundreds of clinical studies that show the powerful effects of mindfulness-based stress reduction interventions within the hospital system. They're all there. We have the Zen den, you got to use it. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. That room in the ER Amazing space. Yeah. Amazing. Who
0: did that again? That was Joanna Roberts.
1: Just shout out to Joanna Roberts. Mm -hmm. We'll call you up and tell you to listen to this podcast later. Add to our listener list. So maybe we should dig in a little more to what mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. What it actually is. So we know what it does for your body, physically and physiologically, what it does. What is it really? Mindfulness is being present with your heart and mind in any moment, in the moment, on purpose, and without judgment. It's really as simple as that. It's being in the moment, being human, being alive, feeling your vitality.
0: Awareness.
1: Yeah, awareness Mm -hmm. of being.
0: Yeah, Awareness of being, awareness of thought, awareness of feeling, but having that awareness without, like you said, without judgment, just Mm -hmm. allowing it to be, allowing the thoughts to come in and to go. I think one of my favorite ones was either, I think in Headspace, he talks about watching the thoughts like cars on a highway, just come and oh, go, yeah. come and go. Or some people do it as leaves down a, floating down a river or clouds in the sky, watching them go by.
1: Yeah. Again, we're going to say it for the 50 billionth time. Please check out Headspace Guide to Meditation on Netflix. So... That observation of yourself without judgment, that is the key. It's the key to transformation, the key to insight, intuition, creativity, healing, homeostasis. You'll be better able to accept other people's mistakes and notice opportunities to provide support and kindness. That, that's so true. That's Mm -hmm. really big for me. Like sometimes I wonder, like, do people think I'm smiling at them just because I don't know anything else to do? But that's not the case. I'm smiling at you. I'm giving loving language towards you and talking to you because I know that that, that I have that space now that I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it releases oxytocin in your body, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the science. It's going to, you know, cheer up your day just a little bit. At least that's my hope. I love
0: that. There's a couple... There, I, I know you all will know who I'm talking about when I say the transporter in the hospital that always smiles and says hello. And it always, even if I'm having a shitty moment at that time, I'm storming out of sec you because, you know, somebody's cussing me out or whatever and I need medications for my patients. And he's like, hey, Mika, how are you doing? And he smiles at me and I, you know what, I can't even say anything other than great. How are you? Yeah. And it just makes me feel good.
1: Yeah. He's given you a little dump of oxytocin and... Some energy. Mm-hmm. Added energy to your energy. It's That's a really funny. beautiful thing, yeah. And it's not easy to smile at people all the time.
0: No, there's a lot of people out yeah. there with resting pitch face.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, they're probably in their thoughts. Yeah. That's where I was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, even now I find myself, like, if I'm not smiling, I don't really want you to point it out. But I know mm-hmm. that I'm not in my best place because I smile when I am. I just can't help it. So with mindfulness, you'll also be able to see your patients in their entire human context Mm -hmm. rather than just a
0: disease, a disorder, a pain, a heart attack, and you know.
1: Yeah. So there is a subject I wanted to bring up just to touch base with healthcare workers and EMS, because I know this came up a lot for me, but what about in a shift where you have a patient in room three? and a patient in room four. They're both here for abdominal pain. They both say it's a seven to 10, but one is freaking out, and the other one is calm. I would feel a certain way. I would feel frustrated, annoyed, because it was making me feel like I wasn't doing my job, and I really was really judgmental, like, okay, you really don't need to be acting this way, this person's fine, and I wasn't taking into consideration that it's their life experience. Mm Have you felt that way? 100%. And
0: and I like how you said that, I mean, at that time, you kind of made it about you, right? You Mm -hmm. were like, am I not doing my job? It made you feel a certain way. But in that moment, we weren't
1: thinking about the patient Mm -hmm. and being mindful of their experience. Absolutely. I totally projected a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I read a study. Here I am with the science again. So Dr. Sarah Lazar with Harvard University, she did a study and found that there's actually two parts to pain. So there's the part of your brain that has the physical sensation, perhaps the sharpness, the tingling, the burning. And then there's another part of the brain that's saying, I don't like this. Why me? Make it stop response. And these are two completely different locations in the brain to Different parts working at the same time. This is why people experience pain and present a very different look of suffering. Mm -hmm. And it just brings some awareness to, you know, the next time we're walking up to a friend, a family member, a patient. Because for me, family being ill is triggering for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Your child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So now I know when I see someone freaking out from their physical pain, it's because there's a part inside of them that is a separate part from that in their brain that is saying, why me? Make it stop. And we also know that with awareness, it changes that. When we do a brain scan on two people experiencing pain, one who practices mindfulness and one who doesn't, we literally see two completely different responses. In the non-meditating patient, the judging, controlling parts of the brain, they become active Mm -hmm. and the sensory parts shut down. In a meditator, sensory becomes active and judging and controlling parts turn off
0: wow that's pretty amazing yeah to think to think about the difference that each one of us you know it it is subjective and it's hard for us on the other side to remember that when we're stressed out when we're mm-hmm. in fight or flight when we have four patients five patients six patients needing something all at once to be mindful in those moments.
1: Absolutely. But it's good to know, it's so good to know that there's, I guess for me, it took up a lot of my day when I was in the ER. Like, all that tension. And it, it just helps to know that with awareness, things change, which is what this is all about. With awareness, things change. So when we get caught up in this tension between how things actually are in the moment and how we think they should be, Or how we would like them to be. We miss being. With mindfulness and meditation practice, we can learn to go whole days without thinking of the hurt and betrayal that we have previously experienced. We can release, let go, and we realize that it's okay. We still matter. We're still important. We're still valuable, even without holding on to all that stuff. This is a lot. I know. (laughs) These are our mindfulness thoughts. (laughs) You mentioned Andy with Headspace earlier, something that he said being really beautiful about the chasing cars. He has another one um, that just when I heard it, it was just really profound. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it to you guys and hopefully you feel what I felt. So he says, not being so distracted, not being so overwhelmed, learning how to be more focused, more present in your life, that's a valuable skill. It's the equivalent to the sunset. That comes out in the morning after dark. We're able to see our thoughts and feelings more clearly and sense a greater amount of space in our minds.
0: I like that. That's really beautiful.
1: So yeah, those were all the mindfulness information and science that we found that um, we could practically put into our job. And that's what we did. So I I know I took it back in and I showed up to work with this new awareness of this thing called mindfulness and all the science with it and all the things that resonated and felt right. And I tried to use it at work and it did not go so great at first. Like it was definitely a trials and tribulations as I was learning. So I'd have a call, they'd be upset and I'd have this idea that I'm gonna come into this and I'm gonna be mindful and I'm I'm such a good person, I'm gonna do this right. And then by the end of the call, I'm slamming it down going, God damn it, and just mad and having this whole negative outlook. And then that secondary one would come in where, okay, you failed that one. That's okay. Let's keep trying. And I did. I had to keep trying because I realized that I still had resistance. I was still perpetuating that stress at work with my resistance, even by not doing it right.
0: I think where I ran into the resistance or hit hit up against that wall was uh, I was then bringing that practice to work and I was using it with my patients and I was being able to show up in their rooms and see them for who they were and see them as the individual and then I started to create the ECC liaison and that was all about mindfulness and that was about recognizing that each one of us are living in a different reality at we all every single one of us has a different reality. We're all living in a different world. No matter if the same thing happened to us that day, because of our experiences, we are seeing things completely different from one another. So I had to say, how do I take myself out of my shoes and put myself in that person's shoes? And that doesn't work in our system because that means taking the time with your patient to find out what they're feeling, how they're dealing with it, what you can do differently to help and we don't have that time Mm -hmm. it's about pushing them through pushing them through moving them getting the getting them up to the next or in and out to the next place or discharged. and I was being asked what's taking so long why isn't this done why and and it was because I was spending time with the patient Mm -hmm. and that pissed me off for sure It, it made me realize a lot about it was sick care it was a sick care system and they didn't care about healing the patient and now i'm here like how can i heal this person and i realized too that the emergency room might not be the best place to do that but i wanted to
1: put my practice to work yeah that's a good thing to bring up while hospital systems are created to provide care we are the fingers and they don't necessarily have feeling in those fingers so much anymore is what mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like they're numb to the fact that we're the face of healthcare and that that includes being overwhelmed with emotions and that we're supposed to take the time and connect so that we're not overwhelmed so that we are present we are healthy Mm -hmm. that's definitely hard to do in today's world that's
0: part of the reason why I like to be back in SECU I mean there are times when I have eight patients and that's not something that I can do but being able to be in that moment with that person and talk to them about what they're going through and, you know, the events leading up to that and how it's created these thought processes and how in those moments being more mindful of where that person has come from and what they're going through, I can be there to help them, guide them, lead them through that
1: process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you start to use these skills, these new skills, it, it's new growth. You know, use mindfulness. For me, I love the drama triangle. Even grace. I say grace as a verb, as a skill. Grace is a skill. Um, Learning it's okay to be wrong. That's a skill. Strengthening relationships. All these things are forms of growth using mindfulness. And when I started to use these, something really cool happened. I guess scary, but really cool. But that old me died. Like Mm -hmm. I looked in the mirror and I realized that this person is dying. And the Jessica who's curious about what will happen if she just tries, just Mm -hmm. tries that was born. I think for me,
0: I, I'm just going to share a little bit of my story of that death and rebirth. It was, I had gotten off of alcohol. I quit drinking and I was like, how the hell am I going to sleep? How am I going to do this? Like, My racing thoughts at night, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. So I go to the doctor and I'm like, I quit drinking. I don't know what to do. Put me on Xanax. And he's like, you just told me that you got sober. You quit drinking. I'm not going to put you on a Benzo and get you addicted to something else. And I actually very much appreciate that about, about him in that moment and he then put me on a different drug he put me on trazodone and said here you go this is going to help you sleep let me tell you what that made me feel even more like i was high on drugs and the next day still drunk i remember driving my kids to school and thinking this isn't even safe so i started to think how am I gonna? How am I gonna heal myself? What am I gonna do? And that's when I really got into mindfulness and meditation, and I started using just YouTube, doing guided meditations, and then the Headspace, um, listening to those, doing a couple minutes here and there, and being able to slow myself down to the point where I was using it every night to put myself to sleep. To where I weaned myself off of trazodone within, I don't know, a month or two. I think it was sixty days and then weaned myself eventually off of my prozac and then got to a place where i was able to actually sit with myself i wasn't trying to use distraction friends the phone and anything else cleaning the house work drama tv to distract myself from being with myself in those moments and i got to a point of just relaxation where i was able to just use those binaural beats is another good one where it helps synchronize the brain waves and both sides of the brain to calm you down and get you into that relaxed state i there's one i used for i don't know probably a year and a half straight called going delta and it's a delta brain wave that synchronizes a brain to put you into that relaxed state. And I was out in five minutes. I'd wake up with my AirPods on the pillow and have to pick them up, put them back, and then I was able to go right back to sleep. That was huge for me. And to be able to see that transition from being completely numb, distracting, on my phone, not being able to sit with myself or my thoughts, not even wanting to think my thoughts, to being able to sit there and just be was huge mm. it was so, like, huge. this
1: big aha moment definitely a big revelation yeah mm-hmm. yeah that is huge good for you that takes some work it took a lot
0: of work years yeah. but again with that practice and that continuation of trying and trying and trying and trying and failing and trying and failing and continuing to try it, and believing in myself and belief itself can change your biology and change your brain and then and the neuroplasticity of your brain and you start to rewire it and lay down new neural pathways to where you can be in the moment be more mindful be more present
1: Mm -hmm. it's so i mean i know we're going through this and it's it's difficult to an extent to try to relay how it feels so i'll just say again don't take our word for it try this just try three minutes Mm -hmm.
0: we're going to give you guys quite a few samples different techniques and stuff but like we said try headspace check out the science before the meditation he does a Mm -hmm. few minute meditation after that go on YouTube put in guided meditation for sleep check out um, insight timer is a good one it's a free one you can go and search any different type of meditation people upload them you can donate if you want to but you don't have to and Mm -hmm. it tracks your progress
1: yeah yeah, it's just it's just trying. And when I finally realized that I was going to be this cur- person who was curious, I was going to watch all this stuff, I was going to learn all this stuff, something really cool happened. Like that inner critic, that inner voice that was always – let me put it this way. Has anybody seen physical on Apple TV? No? No. no. <laughs> Probably a good thing. No offense to who's making it. But it's about this woman and – The monologue on this episode is her inner critic. Oh man! I at first I thought it was funny. Remember we talked about how I repress so much. So at first I'm thinking this is funny, but we're
0: not even aware of it. Yeah, that's the scary part. (laughs) So maybe do watch it because
1: true. Yeah, yeah. very true because it gave it because this is what happened to me. So I'm listening to it, and I'm kind of laughing. I'm like, oh, my inner critic calls me fat too. My inner critic calls me a dumb bitch too. This is kind of funny. Then I go to work and I tried to talk to some colleagues about this show. They didn't watch it. So I tried to tell them and then they're looking at me like there's something wrong, not with me, but with what I'm saying, how I'm Mm -hmm. feeling about it. And it really clicked. Holy shit. My inner critic is loud. She's a lying bitch. And she's kind of mean to me because I don't love her either. But look
0: at that. You had awareness, and with awareness, change is possible. I'm telling you, most people don't even have the awareness of the thoughts that they're telling themselves. I I didn't know. I didn't know that I was saying, you can't do that. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't read. Mm -hmm. All these things that were beliefs that were put into me as a child that I didn't even realize were running my
1: program. And we are not those thoughts. Those thoughts aren't us. We exist outside of them. And that's the major thing here. So it could be going 24-7 in the instance of me. It was 24-7 as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. So to realize that that wasn't me, that I existed outside of that and all I had to do was go search for it, that was just life-changing. Boom. Boom. Yes. Mind blown. (laughs) Yes. So then I took all of this back back into work where, again, I have tens and tens of calls or I go into the ER and I try to create relationships with people that don't know me that well and don't like my job and I don't blame them. But something really cool happened. I started leaving little triggers for myself. Like I wrote out a post-it where it had the drama triangle on it and we'll be including a little clip of that soon too when we talk about difficult conversations in a future podcast. But it saved my life. It was it was a trigger on how to be the objective person and not the persecutor, the rescuer, or the victim. So every time I answered a phone call, I would look at that post-it and I would focus on the observer in the middle of that triangle. And I was determined I was not going to be the persecutor. I wasn't going to be mean to them. I wasn't going to be the rescuer. I wasn't going to say, I can save you from what SMH wants. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to be the victim if they were upset with me. I wasn't going to take it personally. Mm-hmm. And that made Massive, massive changes. And then I took that over into the ER when I'm trying to get to know people and build a relationship so that it's easier for all of us and it works. And life is better.
0: But how powerful is that? Some people aren't comfortable with that because they want you to side with that victimhood. They want you to be the rescuer. So Mm -hmm. they don't understand where you're coming from that observer standpoint. So not everybody's going to be able to relate to that. My and kids
1: got a problem with that too. Yeah. <laughs> they do not like that I'm more the observer now than their rescuer. Yeah. Yeah, but it did it changed everything because I when you do that, when you step out of those drama moments, you realize that a whole lot more exists. And you also realize that you exist outside of it. So it's okay to be wrong. You you still exist, you still matter. It's okay that you're right. And you still looked at as wrong. It's okay because you still exist and you still matter. Um, So really it was overcoming the fear of having, for me, it was overcoming the fear of having an authentic voice. And I guess that's why I'm here today. So this is me showing up, roaring, I am here and I care.
0: What I realized too when I showed up more authentically and more vulnerably that people were able to connect with me much easier they felt more comfortable with me they let their guard down and I was able to care for them not just my patients but my colleagues as well Mm -hmm. and I I mean I've been told that like I thank you for being there and being in that non-judgmental space because I was allowing myself to show up authentically and vulnerably which allowed that space for other people
1: and they can feel it we Mm -hmm. can feel it Right? You guys can feel it. You know when we're being genuine and when we're not. I know when Mika's not being genuine, which never happens, but I'm just saying, I would know if you did.
0: <laughs> I love you, girl.
1: <laughs> so, I guess we just kind of want to leave you with this. Regular practice can help you accept different emotions, liberating you to be with them rather than fighting against them. And like we said, that's that's true freedom. So, I invite you to think on this. We are not humans doing. We are human beings. I love that. Let that
0: one sink in. We are not humans doing. We are human being.
1: So we're gonna post about four meditation practices, like well, a couple meditations and some mindful practices. So try them out. You got three minutes, two minutes, four minutes? Try them out before you go to work in the Zen room. The Zen den. The Zen den. Thank you, JoJo. Yes. And that's
0: all for today. Join us next week as we talk about anxiety, stress, and what we can do for mental hygiene. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Good Vibe Nurse. We are so grateful for your love and support, wrapping you in love and light. Until next time, we out, fans.